Hi, and welcome to June Millington and Friends, a podcast about music, why we do it, how we do it, the magical and spiritual aspects of writing and reaching deep inside ourselves. So dive deep with us. It's sponsored by the Institute for the Musical Arts, and if you'd like to support our efforts, please go to www.ima.org and click on any donate button. Thank you. We surprised Brendan Cohen, president of D'Angelico Guitars, in his office at the NAMM convention 2019. Thanks for letting us stay. Okay, Jeffrey. Yes, dear. Here we are. Oh, and there's Brendan, president of D'Angelico. You're now on the podcast. Thank you very much. Hi. We're doing a little podcast thing. So we're using your room. Is that okay? Okay, hi Jeffrey. Hi there. So we're looking in each other's eyes once again, just like mm-hmm. we did when in 1970 when we first met. Yeah, at, uh, under the ice house. No, I think it was at your shop. Oh, that's right. That's right. You brought your Les Paul in. And you know what? I'm pretty sure it was Lowell George who told me that there was a new kid in town, and I had to go check you out. And I'll never For forget. For guitar repair. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know you played. Ah, huh? it's okay. I didn't know you played. You know? whatever, whatever it takes. Well, and that's what happened. You worked on, I think you worked on my Les Paul first and then the Strat. Yes. And Les Paul was I great. remember you were so excited. I couldn't resist you. You were so <laughs> excited because you had all these ideas like, well, we could put in a, a master volume. And I didn't know how to react to that, but you were so persuasive and so excited. I thought, well. well I've been doing it for so long. I said, we'll change out these capacitors, we'll put a one meg pot in. Here's what we'll do. But where did you learn how to do all that? I mean, when I met you, you a were sort of like ready to go. A lot of it was working with Dan Armstrong when I was a kid. Okay. And uh, also in Mexico City, where I grew up. I really had to teach myself So let's So let's, let's back up then. Mexico City. You've mm-hmm. mentioned Mexico City before to me, but tell me more. Tell me more. Oh, well, my dad was transferred down there. He was in the advertising business. He was the original madman. And uh, <sighs> if you ever seen the series Mad Men, that was my dad. That was your dad. Senior Executive Vice President J.W. Thompson, which was the biggest advertising agency in the world. And they gave him the uh, brief to take over all of Latin America. So we moved to Mexico City. Great place to hang out. A lot of music. A lot of musicians. And uh, my dad gave me the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers radio manual so I could learn a little bit about electronics. And uh, that's where we started. But you know, you've got this kind of mind that gets the math music thing, right? So was it easy for you when he handed you the manual and yeah. you're like, I can read Plus, this? Plus, I mean, I had some other folks that were, there was a gentleman who was working on uh, rate repairing radios and doing some rudimentary uh, guitar amplifier work. So he was kind enough to let me spend some time with him. I was only 11, but he was <laughs> nice enough to let me spend some time with him and well, taught me everything he knew. Were you already doing music or uh, let yeah, me? So, yeah, okay, started so. guitar when I was nine classical piano when I was five. Okay, so that's why you know the classics so well. You started with piano. Yeah. And was that something your parents wanted you to do? Or? No, I asked my mom for lessons and she said fine. She found me a teacher. What made you think of taking piano lessons? Because we had a piano in okay. the house. My mom was a pianist. and uh, Okay. Uh, I just kept banging on it. I said I want to learn. Where was that? Where, where were you born, Jeff? Washington, D.C. Okay, so... Moved to Mexico when I was nine. So five to nine, you're playing classical piano. Mm-hmm. Did you did you actually took lessons? Oh yeah. Okay. I kept taking lessons in Mexico as well. Okay, and then you started to play guitar at nine. How did that happen? 
wanted a bicycle for Christmas. They gave me a guitar, pissed me off. Really? Long it on the wall, and then a buddy of mine said, I'm taking some guitar lessons, I'll teach you some chords because I need somebody to play with. I started playing it, and I thought, this is all right. <laughs> this is what I want to do. What kind of guitar was it? I mean... $16 Mexican <laughs> sort of classical with cheap steel strings. Oh, my God. That sounds hard to play. They were all, all guitars in those days, except for the really expensive one. That's okay. Yeah. Bill's character. It right. sure does. It sure does. So when you put in that um, master volume for me, I'll tell you, that that bit from my toolkit that I can choose from is, is really important to me, so I, I really have to thank you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Guys were bringing a lot of guitars in, and again, the stuff we were doing at Dan Armstrong, we were the only place that I knew of on the West Coast, I mean on the East Coast, if not the whole United States, that actually was doing custom, custom work, and so um, we would actually customize guitars, we would change out pickups, uh, we were just basically re re-engineering uh, the electronics and electronic and electric guitars as well as doing I did a lot of front work built so, guitars. but I mean you are such a passionate player um, I remember when you borrowed hey you, you borrowed I think my strat to play the solo on my old school was it my strat because you worked on that as well no I, I had actually built a strat that afternoon routed it out in the parking lot at valley sound reassemble it and then take took it into oh okay because i remember play. you calling me up and saying you wanted to, to play my strat and so there i was standing in yeah, front of I you yeah because i wasn't sure i was going to be finished oh, gotcha, gotcha. with the guitar in time okay and i just remember that you know everyone in the room was standing pretty still and you when <laughs> you did that solo, you oh, were, your excited. face was going and your body was going, you know, and you were standing. I don't think you were sitting either, you know. But so that passion has always infused you, I would say, yeah, right? I just don't think of anything else I'd rather right. be doing. It's, it's not that is not you, shall we say. Well, it certainly is a major part of my personality, playing yeah. guitar, that's for sure. Well, like I said, I didn't know you played guitar when I brought you my guitars, and um, I remember the first time I came back and you had done whatever you did with my last ball, and you picked it up and you started to play. And I thought to myself, I didn't say this to you, but I thought, he's my guitar repairman? I mean, yeah, not fine. only were you like so joyful and enthused, but... You really could play, and we spent a lot of time together, and I really do thank you. Well, you um, could play. You blew my mind playing slide. I thought, <laughs> my God, because I was walking out of the sound check with Steely Dan down at the Under the Ice House, and you guys were doing your sound check, and I was walking out, and I heard this great slide playing. I said, who's that? And it was you. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lowell, Lowell George. Sure. Between the two of you guys, I mean, you really were patient with me. You know, and, and, and I really have to thank you because you guys, um, you know, you're so top of your game, but you didn't talk down to me, which most other guys well, number did. one, you're passionate. Number yeah. two, you had a lot of talent, still do. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to impart whatever knowledge that you have, do it in, in a way that's as efficient yeah. and as, uh, as enjoyable and, and osmosable as possible. Well, we played a lot at Fanny Hill, and I think also at your apartment. Um, yeah. Not that far from Fanny Hill, but we spent a lot yeah. of time at Fanny Hill. I mean, do you remember that basement? I do. Do you remember all the chicks? <laughs> <laughs> I know I young. can say that to you. Hey, loved it all. <laughs> but I also remember the first time you told me that, you know, at, at your guitar shop, you asked me to come to a gig, and um, we were at the time rehearsing at 
Warner Brothers sound lot. So, I mean, we were really busy. And I remember you mentioned the band and you said Steely Dan and I thought, um, I thought maybe it would be a cowboy band or something. And, you know, I was busy, so I, I didn't go see you guys. I didn't see you till, I guess, that Ice House gig. Yeah, till you guys opened the show for us. Yeah, which was maybe a year. Phenomenal. Later. Yeah. Great band. I mean, you know, it's so interesting because I'm 70 now. And you and I are still here, and we're sitting looking at each other. And I always tell people, you know, when they ask me about those days, I say, well, what you're listening to, to now and you think of as classic rock was being invented when you and I were... Well, I mean, going, there, were, there were the 50s and 60s, but yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, in terms of what, yeah, what, what people think of as classic rock from, you know... Yeah, I guess that uh, late 60s and 70s into the 80s. Yeah. Okay, okay, here. Um, and it's so much fun to think about it because, I mean, I remember if there was, like, anybody who was building an amp, for example, Lowell would just, like, start talking about, let's go see it, you know. Oh, and, yeah. And the same with you, with pickups. And That's one of the things we had in common. So yeah. The, I did a bunch of studio work on the Little Feet Records and... First thing when I met Lowell, that's the first thing we started talking about. Really? It was like David Lindy, we would each give each other the weirdest guitar we could find for <laughs> Christmas. I mean, we just were gearheads, all of us. Well, you do know that I, my term for it is warriors of sound. It's like you're going to find it. You're going to do what you got to do. You yeah. know, chop your way through the jungle, whatever. Sure. So, all right. So, 11, you start playing guitar. How fast did you matriculate on that? I mean, by the time you're what, 16, 17, 18, where were you? What were you doing? Well, when I was uh, 11 and a half, a friend of mine had a friend at, uh, at the big American, well, there's a radio station in Mexico City called Radio Exito, and they played four hours of American rock and roll every day. Oh. So we went up to the radio station, they, brought, they wanted us to bring our instruments, and we set up and we played, and they cut a disc in those days they were that's, that's how they did it they would cut a lacquer disc that was the live way to record live yeah and they started playing it and so our little band the tarantulas was starting to get airplay the tarantulas and the tarantulas that was our song tarantula which was our surf song and uh we started doing gigs we started playing around at, first at parties and then a couple of club gigs yeah um yeah so we were we were all making, right we were so the here's, band. here comes the question do you have that lacquer? No. No, I disappeared. Yeah. But I had yeah. some very good friends. I played a little bit with a band called Los Locos, uh, not the Locos de Rismo, they were a great band, Los Hooligans. And, um, the Hooligans? The Hooligans. Wonderful. And um, uh, the guitar player in the band, Humberto Cisneros, was a really good guitar player, and he had strung up his guitar like James Burton. With, which you is? Know, which moved the strings down one gauge and then put a banjo string on the E string. So you could bend the strings, oh, and I mean okay. we're playing surf music, and I walked into a club, and here's this guy with a twin reverb turned up full, bending strings and playing the blues. I thought this guy is right. So he was very kind. Uh, we became friends, and we started playing a lot together. And I got heavily involved in the uh, the Mexico rock and roll scene, which was really amazing. Well, great you're the drummers, first person who's ever player. talked to me about that. Yeah, it's pretty. Oh, it was pretty wow. cool. Abraham Laboreal, he was 12, oh, I was 11. Oh, I mean, we were gosh. just kids, you know. And, oh my gosh. And, uh, we knew each other then. And mm -hmm. um, So when you say kids, you were at that time, what, 15? Uh, no, 12. 11 or 12. 12, and, right, uh, okay. Uh, uh, Doug DeGrosa was another American guitar player, played in the Mexican rock scene. Yeah, it was pretty cool. 
pretty cool. It was the right place, must have been the right time, because so. there you were. I mean, that's an incredible story. So now we fast forward, you're, to Bo you're in Boston, you've told me a couple of stories about people that you played with there. You were in college at the time, right? I was in college. Uh, I uh, roommate was um, uh, um, James Montgomery mm. from the James Montgomery Blues Band. So mm -hmm. we used to play down in the in the social room all the time and jam. And then uh, I just started playing around town again, repairing guitars, okay. playing in clubs, playing country music, uh, playing pedal steel, and playing. Oh, that's Dobro, when you started to play pedal oh. steel. Gotcha. Um, ended up playing bass for Tim Buckley for a while. Uh, just the whole you Boston know, music scene. did gigs with, with Tim Buckley. He was the sweetest guy in the world. He was a wonderful guy. He really was. A lot of demons. Yeah. But deep inside, that man was very special. He was a poetic soul. Oh, no yeah. question about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, you played bass with him. That's yeah. nice to know. Um, and then you played bass with Jimi Hendrix. Let's just talk well, about that. Yeah, Come I on. mean, I played bass for a week like, <laughs> before he was Jimi Hendrix. Everybody makes a big deal out of it. <laughs> wonderful human being, wonderful guitar player. Uh -huh. And I did get him his first Stratocaster right did when you? I was working at Jimmy's Music Shop. So I traded oh. across the board for it for him. Uh, I got docked three weeks' pay because the guitar that he traded it was a piece of yeah, crap. What was it? It was a Fender Duosonic that was all beat up. And oh so I had strung gosh. up a guitar, a Strat left handed for somebody else. I never picked it up. So I just gave it to him. And. Um, well, asked. yesterday you guys slammed into one of Jimmy's songs. Which one was it? And it was sounds uh, so great. Right, right. And when I first heard with Robert Randolph at South by Southwest, he was his first gig. He was just starting out. And I thought, okay, he's a steel player, so what are we going to do? Like, you know, the girls all get prettier at closing time, or, you know, what are we going to do? And he broke into that. And then, and fire. And a couple oh. of other Hendrix songs said, this guy's an amazing player. You know what? We, we should cut off. some of those songs, Jeff. You and I should cut some of those songs just for fun. Well, I mean, let's just announce it now. We're, we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, again, you know, I mean, yeah, we're jumping back and forth. Yeah, but, we uh, are. And New York was great. I, I guess my, the, the real, I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Dan Armstrong's guitar shop was where everybody went to have their guitar fixed or customized there was nobody else so every player in the world was there so you'd be sitting upstairs hanging out and Mike Bloomfield and Frank Zappa and everybody would be playing mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. sitting around playing and uh, so I got a chance to meet a lot of folks in the music scene and make some really good friends and do some playing around town uh, and then I remember Andre Segovia came in one day no way his his Ramirez said he'd broken one of the tuning pegs off so luckily, Charles Ponty across the street, who was the violin repair guy, he had access to some very high quality classical guitar tuners, three on a side. So I went over there and I got, I bought um, two sets from him and then went in and fixed, um, replaced the tunings on one side of, uh, of uh, Segovian's guitar, strung it up, brought it out to the ante room, handed it to him. Meanwhile, all these guys are sitting, he's just sitting in a corner. Uh, you know, Zappa and Blue, everybody's like playing, you know, and loud and all that stuff. And he's just kind of sitting there. And uh, so I handed him the guitar, and everybody was real quiet for a second. And I handed him the guitar, and he played the first 32 bars from the Concerto de Aranquist by Rodrigo. And I went, oh my God. And he said, you don't hang it around like a canoe paddle, you don't hang it around your neck. You sit and play the instrument like this. And everybody was mesmerized because what a 
brilliant player. Oh my God. So uh, that kind of got me to the idea of sitting down. It's probably the best way to play guitar. And being in the oh, studio. You never oh. really stood up when you played it. So you're sitting down, you're reading, mm -hmm. sitting down in a chair, mm -hmm. doing whatever they told you to do. Right, right, exactly. Told you to do. Well, yeah. except when they had, there were 16 bars with no music and they said they want you to do what you do. But, yeah, yeah, right. You know, if you're doing a Chevy commercial, they, here's what we want you to do. You know, nobody else has your story, do they? I mean, you... Oh, uh, I'd say Steve Lukather does in a lot really? of ways. Really? Well, he was in a band that did was very successful, and Luke did a lot of sessions in But in Mexico? LA. Oh, no, no, that's a different Mad story. Men? I mean, come on. Well, but, you know, I mean, who else played bass with Jimmy for a week? It's This is Probably pretty... a lot of guys. <laughs> did you recognize him as a great player? He was, he was an incredible player and okay. musician at the time. So. Okay. So it was, it was really true. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was all there. He just had this this uh, aura about him that was stunning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a real sweet guy yeah well you know what I remember when Fanny was on the road and we used to call each other and just chat and I remember when you told me that you were leaving Steely Dan for the Doobie Brothers yeah. and I didn't say this to you I thought that was pretty crazy but you always seem to have um, what are you ahead of the curve or something you have your own senses that that totally work for you for instance getting into the whole as you described it to me once laser uh, uh, devices right working for the defense department intel yeah. so i mean how does that idea come to you that hey not only can i play really good guitar i can leap into this thing how, how do you make that leap well uh a radar is just an electric guitar on steroids it's right. the same physics. Okay, I can you know, go for that. So, yeah, once you understand the physics behind all of this stuff, it has a lot in common. And, yeah. You know. Okay. Instead of striking the guitar string and it vibrates at 440 times a second. Okay. If you multiply that times the 23rd power, it's the color green. You're way up in the frequency spectrum. Sound and color yeah. are just super harmonics and subharmonics of each other. Yeah. So right. once you understand the physics of radar is basically you generate a signal. Then you amplify the signal. You generate the signal the same way you do it with uh, a, with an electric guitar. You vibrate a piece of metal in a in a, a, a magnetic field surrounded by a coil. You create voltage. Same stuff. Mm -hmm. And you then you amplify it and then you broadcast it. Okay. Then it bounces yeah. back, mm -hmm. and you use a version of a microphone, not yeah. the kind of microphone you and I are familiar with. And uh, that's what you get. So anyway, I love it. I love it. I'm following you. I'm following you. I remember once I was on an airplane, and I re was reading an interview with Les Paul. And the question was asked to him, how do you think uh, music is going to be stored in the future? I think CDs were just coming or something like that. And he said, no, it couldn't have been CDs because CDs is light. He said light. And I thought, wow, what a powerful... I mean, I never would have thought of that, but that is exactly... Yeah, uh, again, light and sound. Exactly. You know. That was the first time I, I, in any way, put that together. Because, I mean, that's a leap for most people. Like, how you conceive of, all right, you got sound. For most people, it just stops at that. I mean, you, you're hearing sound, you're seeing colors, but you're not putting it together that it's all... It's all in the same continuum, from zero to pure energy. Yes, right. I love it. I asked you one time if you do a 
workshop in IMA, and you said yes, only if we can call it zero to infinity. Or zero something. to infinity, yeah, because that's what it is. What well, about. we'll do it. We will do it. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, do you still have? Okay. This is great. This is great. So, um, there's so much to leap into, but um, I want to get back to our guitars. You know, yeah. <laughs> you talked me into putting bass frets, which you installed in my Stratocaster. Yeah. And this is what you said. This, I mean, I really was very skeptical, Jeff. And you said, because you'll be able to move faster. Mm-hmm. And if I, when I dress them properly, yeah. Yes, okay. yes. And I was really amazed. So I, from just those two times before I didn't, before I even knew you played, I learned how to trust you because you were just so enthusiastic. Oh, and Lowell said, "This is this is the guy. This is your next guy," yeah. and he was absolutely right, you know. But so this whole coterie of guys who helped me, you and Lowell, John Hall from the band Orleans, sure. uh, well Bonnie Raid, who whom I introduced to Lowell, and it all became we all like sort of ended up sort of having a very similar sound. I mean, when I heard you play last night or yesterday afternoon, I thought, yeah, man, so that's really, it's, that's what it is. It's like we learned how to have that thing come out of our fingers. Yeah. I mean, when people want to learn how to play guitar, I, I you know, it's not just the gear. People think if you get the gear, then you can, you know. Well, it's not the technique either. I mean, Bo Diddley, the one chord. Yeah, and he basically good. moved the capo up and down the neck. Right. But I could listen to him play that one chord for hours. That's right. So, so it's whatever the it feeling. is, yeah, whatever it is, yes, yeah. it's great to have a, yeah. a, a a rich vocabulary as a guitar player. Yeah. The same way as a speaker or as a writer, you know. Yeah. Dick loves Jane. Jane loves Spot. <laughs> okay, that's nice. But uh, Dick was deeply and passionately in love with Jane. Yeah. And Jane's pet Spot had a very strong part in her life yeah. when he, she rescued him as a rescue dog. And that's the story. Yeah. But that's using much more vocabulary and, a, and a, a more sophisticated vocabulary, which allows you to get deeper into the story, deeper into what the message is that you're trying to convey. Same with guitar, is the more facile you are on the instrument, the deeper your vocabulary is, the better you are uh, able to articulate what it is that you want to communicate. Well, and if you have, if you're plugged into one part of the universe like that one chord with Bo Diddley, then you've got something authentic that's going to move people. I mean, well, he had, he was, he was, he had the magic. Yeah, that's magic. He had the magic. right combination. Right, right. Some people don't. Or they don't find it. They have it in some place, well, but they true. don't. Well, that's true. That's you know, true. You know, inspiration is yeah. a very important part of all of this. Well, let me go back and ask you about the solo to um, Ricky. Don't lose that number. Because I still rave about that solo. You're very kind. You know, did you think about that? Uh, what yeah, your I approach? That so one would I did you please? Because yeah. I think every good solo should be a composition in of itself, and be connected on both in the beginning and the end yes. to seamlessly uh, connect the song. It's a bridge. That's why they call it mm-hmm. a bridge or a mm-hmm. channel or a solo. Yeah. Um, so I thought about that because I really wanted to compose it it's in three parts so well so when did the first part so well that did was that very bluesy i thought yeah, okay yeah. great way to start out a solo is with the blues right but then the question was okay 
since the, the chord structure of the song was not 12 bar blues, then you had to go yeah. someplace else yeah. and uh, move to another uh, another set of vocabulary. Yeah, you got to those rainy night in Georgia licks in the middle. Well, of there. and Little Beaver was a huge. I was a huge fan of that guy. Oh, okay. Who created all that stuff that Curtis Mayfield and those guys had. Oh, really? With. See, because Jimmy, I, Jimmy right. Hendrix. I mean, you listen yes. to the Wind Cries, oh, Mary, oh, and all that. Oh, That's absolutely. all Little Beaver and uh, okay. and uh, Curtis Mayfield. Um, who invented the sliding fifths? Did and, he? And, yeah, yeah. So which you would get burned for back in the yeah, yeah, by the absolutely. Catholic Church? Well, <laughs> parallel no, fifths, if, right? You, if it was the flat five and the dominant chord, that was called the Devil's Interval. Okay. Yeah, then they burn you at the stake, right? <laughs> uh, Jimmy and Little Beaver. We're not doing that. that. No, no, they were good. They were okay. straight five one. <laughs> okay. But um, and then the, then at the end of the at the end of the solo had to be something that resolved. A fairly straight-ahead chord pattern, minor seven, four, one. Mm -hmm. So that it had to go back to not playing uh, different uh, chord inversions that, or notes in a chord inversion that wouldn't normally match. That's what this. That's what the second part of the solo. I wanted mm -hmm. to go somewhere where the two uh, different chords intertwine with each other okay. to create a uh, just a little bit of, of tension, and then get out of it. No, so yeah, I thought about it. How long do you think you thought about it? Oh, for quite a while. Because okay. I had a chance to, you know, had a copy of it on a cassette in those days. It yeah. went home and started thinking oh, about it. How we loved cassettes. How it changed yeah, our lives. I, yeah, it was great. I'm still a fan. Just great. Well, um, you told me about seeing Michael McDonald, uh, I think in Baltimore. Was uh, he singing? At Huntington Beach. Oh, Huntington California. Beach. How did you know? I mean, was it apparent right away? Well, we got right him into Steely Dan as a singer. That was uh, we needed a singer. Oh, he played okay. pretty good keys at the time. Okay. And so it took him on a road as another vocalist. We took the back two background singers from uh, uh, David Cassidy. These two really? girls were just brilliant singers. So with okay. them and Michael, we ha and and Royce Jones, uh, unreal singer and uh, and percussionist. We had a great vocal ensemble for the band. And then when wow. the Doobies needed to, Tom Johnson had some health problems and uh, had to make a quick command decision. So I called him and said, here's a one-way ticket, you're in the band, get your butt out here. We're gonna rehearse wow. 12 hours a day for six days and go play the- That's what you did? The Superdome in New Orleans, yeah. Oh, Somebody wow. had to do it. Right, right, wow, right time, right place. Dr. John, Super Bowl, New Orleans, it's all who coming I, together. Mac, who I love oh, so much. You know, we did a lot of gigs with him. Yeah. And he would always tell me he's always the best guy in the hey, world. Hey, dog, you off the hook, man. <laughs> oh, I, I, I do love that guy very One much. One time we said goodbye to each other. He goes, it's been a pleasure to have. Oh. Very, very genuine human being. Yeah. Again, okay. great aura. That's right. Does what he does, and he does it with magic. He really does. He doesn't try to do it. He is it. Yeah, he is doing it. He doesn't try. He is. Yeah. Right. Doesn't have to try. Just, oh my just, gosh! I remember when Gene told me about uh, the Neville brothers. She said, you should listen to these guys, oh. the Meters, and all that. And then the next thing you know, Phenomenal. we're playing with them, and we're in New Orleans. I mean, that's the nice part about music. It will transport you to places that you just didn't know you'd be there next month. Well, and it gives you a common language to relate to people who you don't know personally. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a great right. basis to form a relationship. Yeah, because when Gene and I got here, we had no friends. We, nobody knew where the Philippines was. And the minute we started to play music, 
especially publicly, sure. that was the lingo franco. That was the 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 introduction uh, sure. to it all. I mean, I never would have met you otherwise if it, if it weren't if for you. If your guitar had broke. <laughs> <laughs> If That's I just, how I met a lot of musicians in LA. Still, you know, I still, uh, they, I still guarantee everything for life. So every once in a while, I get a call. Guy says, "Hey, mm-hmm. I, you know, mm-hmm. something broke." And it's like, "Yeah, bring it over. I'll, I'll fix it." Oh, awesome! Well, you had my Strat. I mean, excuse me, my uh, what I call my surf guitar for like ten years. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think that little piece of paper is still there in the fret. Probably. <laughs> and uh, Cooch the other night said, "Hey." I took that Telecaster that you wired, and I, I used it on so many records, and then somebody rewired it, and I don't like it. Oh, yeah. Can I bring right. it back? I said, sure, bring it up to the house in a couple of weeks, and I'll put it back the way Absolutely. Uh, the yeah, people have tried to do that with my last ball. I say, no, don't touch it. It's just, it's got the thing, whatever well, it is. Well, I still have the old parts, too. I kept a lot of original parts. Oh, you did? Because okay. I figured, okay, well, if you're going to guarantee this stuff, you might as well use the original capacitors, original resistors original pots the stuff that was germane to the instruments at the time oh that's so right on oh that's great well um here we are at nam and i I, we're recording this on a brand new mic that sure lent to us and uh seems to be working out yeah and i can hear it it looks like you're getting signal right Yes. Hey, sing, sing yeah, and it do, looks yeah, really fine. good. Yeah. yeah, you're the one who was in charge of the session because you have the headphones on. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just making sure. <laughs> you're the engineer, so we'll do this again. Okay. I'm so sure. Right, you then. know, I mean, I don't think either one of us is going really anywhere off this planet I hope real not. soon. There's a lot more to do. Yeah, I want to play more with you. Um, I want you to come to IMA and we'll we'll play in front of people. Shall we do that? I would love to. You know. I mean, you're on the East Coast a lot, so... Um, That's true. We should make it happen, like, soon. A lot of my time is spoken for, but yes, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking for some of your time right now. <laughs> well, I love you, Jeffrey. You too, honey. It's all, it's Thank you a, so much. It's been a great friendship. You know. I mean, we have spent a lot of quality time yeah. together, and not like what I spend with other people. I feel like we're sort of in some sort of... Where molecules live, where the electricity crackles. In some way, that's where we meet. You know, it's like what Jimmy talked about and played about that, where the electricity is. The covalent. There you go. (laughs) Our band, the covalent. The covalent. There you go. Okay. That's when two atoms have to share electrons because they don't have enough electrons in the outer shell to to create a neutral charge. So that's why you ever, whenever see oxygen written, it says O2. It's two oxygen atoms because they're sharing an electrical charge, so they're covalent. Anyway, works, makes sense. I just did a huge in-breath, out-breath when you said that. (laughs) I mean, that is us, (laughs) and it is absolutely the truth. Okay. I love you. Okay, sweetie. Okay. Thanks for doing this. Love you. I love you too, baby. Bye. Unauthorized copying, reproduction, broadcasting, or distribution of this podcast is prohibited.